you're a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, there are a number of questions that will come across, or you will come across in your life. There are many questions that people say to you uh, to sort of escape and to turn away from what you say is the truth. If you bring to them the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they will sometimes come to you with some questions. If God really exists, then why are there atheists? If it's so obvious that God exists, why are there the people don't believe. Uh, not only that, but if Christianity is true, why are there so many other religions? If what you believe is true, why isn't this place packed to the rafters? Why are there people still in their homes carrying on their life as though there was no God and no Jesus Christ? Why, why is it? It can't be true, therefore. If Christianity was true, why is it that there are so many that do not believe? Now, those are questions that, that we will face as Christians. You may have faced them already, but they're, Christian, uh, or they're questions that are sort of troubling to some people. Well, it all comes down to truth. What we have to realise is there may be truth, but that doesn't mean that people accept it as such. There is that old saying, isn't there? You can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. There, there are people who, although they know something is categorically and absolutely true, yet they will deny it. Let's have a look at a, a trivial example. You go to a football match. There are two uh, supporters from opposing teams and they're sitting next to each other they're friends and they're watching the match and one team one team goes four goals ahead half time they're 4-0 up and then they turn to the friend and they say we're going to beat you today and then that person despite the scoreline says no no I, I've known teams that have scored five in the second half we're not beaten yet and then the second half begins and then another goal goes in and then it turns to seven or eight or nine. And then you turn to your friend next to you and you say, I think you're defeated. There are nine goals against you now. And then you're still saying, no, no, I, I don't think we're beaten. Despite that, 13 goals, 14 goals, 15 goals, doesn't matter how many goals go in, the chap will still say, no, no, I don't believe it. And then the whistle goes. And then they'll come up with, well, you were lucky. My team's still better than yours. It was the referee. It was the wind. It was something they ate. They, the truth. But they won't believe it. And then in, in reality, not the football isn't reality, but in reality you had Hitler fighting so many powers, so many countries, doing so well. And then the tide turned against him. Germany against Britain, Russia and America, the invasions of France, the Russians coming down, the Allies going up. There's no way he was going to win. The war was lost. But did he give in? No. Did he accept the truth? No. He carried on. 
Now, just because something is true, it doesn't mean that people are going to accept it. That's the first thing. And this is where we have to come from. This is the situation we, we come from. Because when it comes to God and the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to realise that this truth is a truth that people don't like. You know, when, when you play bowls, proper bowls on, on bowling green, you've got a, a ball and they've hollowed it out and they've stuck in it a bit of lead or something. And so when you roll the ball, if the lead's on the left, then it'll pull it this way. If the lead is on the left when you bowl it, it'll pull it this way. It's called a bias. Every human being is biased against God. It, it tells us in the scripture that these things are the case. The heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Who can cure it? When somebody comes to you and say, well, look, you know, if Christianity was true, why isn't your church full? If it is true, it's stop, stop. Just because something's true doesn't mean people accept it. Point two. You have to realise that some people don't want to accept the truth. And human beings are not those types of people. No human being born into this world is born facing and loving and serving God. Unless God intervenes. The heart of man is deceitful above all things. Why is it that, that there are people that come to church regularly and, and listen to the word and yet... It's as if they're a stone. And the word of God is water poured on and flies off. Why? Because their hearts are hard. And when the word goes to them, it comes out. I, I remember I, I used to teach uh, a, a youth group. Well, they weren't youth, they were young youngsters. And, and I'd preach to them. And they'd listen. It'd be amazing. You'd get 20 minutes or 15 minutes with these youngsters, all under 11, and you'd speak. And then sometimes I'd feel that God had moved, and, and they'd understood the message. And at the end, we'd have a time of questions. And I'd say, any questions? And a hand would shoot up, and I'd think, oh, oh. And they'd say, yes. And he'd say, I've got a cat. <laughs> okay, that's, yes, but any, any questions about the message, what you heard? And another hand goes up. And he'd say, yes, yes, yes. I've got a cat too. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what your age is. We can preach till we're blue in the face. The hearts, human hearts, are hard. Unless God changes the heart. Unless God places in us a new heart and a new spirit, we will not accept the truth. We can preach, we can teach, we can train as long as we want. But people and God. You see, it, it, it says a, a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29. And this verse is very interesting. Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. You see, originally, when God created Adam and Eve, when the human race was begun, human beings were perfect, inclined towards God, 
upright. But then sin, man's first disobedience, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. This morning is about the schemes. Why is it that people don't believe? Why is it that there are atheists? Why is it that our church isn't full? It's because human beings are, are on the run from God. They have made up many schemes, many excuses to give, many ways to turn away from God. And the, the first one we see here in the passage I read to you, in Samuel chapter 1, uh, sorry, book 1 of Samuel chapter 16. Samuel seemed to be so encouraging. God was going to bring up a, a leader, a Christ, a, a, a Messiah, a, a leader for the people. And they chose Samuel. He was, sorry, Saul, I should say. They chose Saul. He was tall. He was big. He was leadership material. He, he seemed humble. He, he followed God. He had Samuel who, who told him God's ways. It all seemed so great. And then in chapter 15, we see that Samuel comes late. And so Saul decides to do things he shouldn't. He decides to worship God his way. He doesn't listen to the rules of God, the commandments of God. He turns his back on those and he does what he thinks is right. And Samuel tells him that God is no longer going to be with him. And then we're told in chapter 16 that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. A harmful spirit, we're told in the ESV. Now, the word there means a, 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 a spirit that, that causes troublings inside. That's, that's what happens. You see, when somebody turns away or, or somebody starts following God and then they turn their back on them, they turn their back on the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, they turn their back on the church, they turn their back on the commandments of God, then there's guilt and, and there's sadness and there's despair inside that person. But that person will not admit it. That person will have the Holy Spirit working on them because he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And this person's conscience will be seared. They will have a troubling spirit sent by God to them. They will feel guilty. Why doesn't Saul come back? Why doesn't he? Because he has an escape plan, the first device. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before him to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play with his hand whenever the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So David comes in because he's a great player on the harp. And verse 23, sad verse. And so it was, whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Why don't some people believe? Why don't some people come? Why is it that people have started coming to church and then they've dropped out and gone? It's because of sin. That's it. It's because of sin. They've seen something in the word. God has told them to do something. They don't want to do it. That's why. And so what do they do? Well, what should you do? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But 
we must repent. We must ask God for forgiveness. But what does he do? Get someone to play a musical instrument to soothe you. What's that? It's entertainment. The first method, the first escape scheme, here we see with Saul, is entertainment. People are on the run from God. So instead of having God where he is, and entertainment where it should be, they place entertainment in the place of God. So whenever they feel down, whenever they feel discouraged, whenever they feel guilty about their life and what they've done and what they've said and how they've lived and who they've spoken to and things that they have done, they put on. They put on some kind of entertainment. I remember when I was in university, there was a student, and as soon as he went into his room, music would come blasting out, blaring, as loud as it could be. Didn't like silence. Didn't want to think. Didn't want to consider. Entertainment. And that's what we have. We have a world full of entertainment. We have a world with thousands of television channels. We have a world with various uh, satellite dishes and various this and various that. We have incomparable number of hobbies. We have activities. We have this, we have that. Why? Because we mustn't think. We must always be doing. We must always be away. We mustn't let God speak to us. We mustn't start thinking and dwelling on these things. We mustn't be morbid. We must be entertained. We must be relieved. We must escape. Escape God. This is Saul. This is Saul. Entertainment was his escape. And he ran. And he ran. And he ran. Don't run from God. You've got friends, you, you know them. They live for entertainment. They live for their football team, their rugby team. They love and they live for their hobbies. They live for these things. Why? Because they're trying to put them in the place of God. Because they don't want to face him. My friend, it's, it's not wise. It's not wise to run from God. Because what happens when David isn't there to play his harp? What happens when you wake up in the middle of the night... You see darkness and you think what happens when you're lying on your deathbed where will you go then what entertainment will satisfy you then none it's just Jesus Christ the saviour and God don't allow entertainment to take the place of God don't run from God in entertainment but, but then you see, on one side we've got entertainment, and on the other side, the opposite of entertainment is work. There are some people, and they live for work. Work is their God. Work is their goal. Promotion is their aim. What they want to do is big. They want to make an effort. They want to make a mark in this world. They want to leave something behind. Be known. And so they work. They work 24-7 every day. Every minute of every day, there's, there's work, there's opportunity, there's overtime, there's doing this, there's doing that. They're always busy. They're always working. They can't come to meetings. Oh, I'm busy. They, they can't pray. They're, they're too busy. They can't do things. They're, they're too busy for God. They use work 
Is there anyone in the Bible like that? Yes. There's nothing new under the sun. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the two boys, Cain and Abel. And Cain killed Abel. He slew him. And God spoke to him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Murderer. Such guilt. Such sin. What does he do? Does he go to God? God comes to him. Speaks to him. Will he confess his sin? Will he fall on his knees and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've done such wickedness. Forgive me. There's no way I can atone for this. Forgive me. For you are merciful and you've promised a saviour. Does he? No. What do we find? Verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she had a son named Enoch. And Cain built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. What did he do? He worked it out of his system. He built a city. He worked hard. There's nothing wrong with working hard. But when you're working hard to push God out of your mind, when you're working hard to escape from your responsibilities towards God and towards your fellow men, then it's wrong. And here is Cain, working in the city of Nod, building a, a great city and naming it after his firstborn. This is my son, I have made him, and I am now making a city fit for my son. Work, work. And Jesus knew that. Jesus spoke, didn't he, of that man. The parable of the rich fool. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You see, he wanted material things. He wanted things from the world. That's what he was living for. He was living for wealth. He was living for work. And Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge and an arbiter over you? That's what he said. And then he said that there once was a, a rich man. And he did well and he built a barn. And he had such great crops and he said, I will build another barn to put all my crops in. And then God came to him that night and said, you fool. Tonight your life is required of you. Who will have what is left? Friends, we must not be like this. We must not run from God to work. It's good to work, it's right to work, but work has its place, but not the place of God. And we certainly shouldn't be using work as an excuse not to turn to God. There was Cain, and God spoke to him and, and said, you were cursed. You, you will suffer. And instead of going and throwing himself on the mercy of God, because God is merciful and gracious, and whoever comes to him, he will forgive and love and cleanse. He turned his back. He went out from the presence of God. And he worked. He built a city. So, why are there atheists? 
Why are there atheists? Well, again, in the scriptures, we're, we're told why they're atheists. We see it in, in the Psalms. You see there are, there are a number of Psalms. Psalm 14, if I can find it. Psalm 14, verse 1. It says at the start here, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. It tells us why they're atheists there. And then in, in uh, Psalm 53, we have exactly the same thing. And when we go back to Psalm 10, we have a description of these people. And the description is this, verse 3 to 4. For the wicked boasts in his heart's desire and blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked is in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. You see, why are the atheists? The atheist says no to God. If you read Psalm 14, verse 1, and Psalm 53, verse 1, you will see in some of the translations, there is, is in uh, sort of italics, because it's been added by the translator. Because a, a literal translation would be, the fool has said in his heart, no, God. That's what the fool has said. He said no to God. Not there is no God, but he has said no to God. Why? Because all his works and all his ways are evil. Why are they atheists? There are atheists because there is the law of God. There is the righteousness of God. And there is the pride of man. There are atheists because God says one thing and they want to do another thing. Is there an atheist in the Bible? Well, an atheist, atheist, means somebody who is against God. Is there anyone in the scriptures like that? And we find them. Pharaoh. We find him as a great atheist. Moses goes to him. And Pharaoh looks at him. And despite knowing various things and seeing various things that God has done, he speaks who is the Lord that I should obey him to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. You see? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? It's obedience. He doesn't want to obey God. He doesn't want to do the things of God. We get it in Psalm 2, don't we? Why do the nations rage? Why do the heathen rage? And, and the wicked uh, imagine a vain thing against the Lord and against his anointed. Saying what? Let us cast their bonds far from us. Let us cast away the shackles, the restraints of God. I remember speaking to, to one person when I became a Christian about how truthful and how historically accurate the Bible was and, and how Jesus really did come and on all these historical proofs. And I spoke for about an hour and a half to this person on the phone. And they listened to me. And they said, yes, that sounds good. But you see, I've got more to give up than you. That's what they said. Why are there atheists? Because their hearts are hard and they love sin. They love darkness rather than light. And they won't go to God. That's why they're atheists. Why is it that people say no to God? There is no God. Don't you find it ironic 
they, atheists give the example of, a silly example of, of a floating teapot in, in the universe that we can't see, the invisible teapot, or the, the flying spaghetti monster. And yet, when you read or you speak to an atheist and they find out you're a Christian, they don't go on about a flying teapot or a spaghetti monster that they know doesn't exist. They go on about God. They go on about Christ. They say he doesn't exist. They say there is no God. And yet they spend their whole existence, their whole being and strength fighting against him and arguing against that they know doesn't exist. It's not logical. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But it does when you realize that they know there is a God. And they're not saying there is no God. Really what they're doing when they're speaking, they are saying no to God. That's what they're doing. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Remember, Jesus when the, the Pharisees come up to him and the Sadducees and say, tell us plainly who you are. Notice what he says when he says that he is the good shepherd. He said, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. That's why you don't believe. You don't believe to become sheep. You are Christ's sheep and then you believe. You are not my sheep because my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Everything that Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him, Jesus describes as a Christian. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Every Christian hears the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ when they read the scriptures, when they sing the hymns, when they meditate on his word, they hear his voice. And Jesus Christ knows them. Union. There's, there's, there's a link between you and Jesus Christ when you're a Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ has taken your sins away and he has washed you. He's taken away your filthy garments as they were and he's whipped them away as far as the east is to the west. You will never see them again. But on top of that, he has taken them on his own body and he has died as a substitute for you. You know, in a football match, you get substitutes. If you're not playing well, the manager will say, come on in, get off, we'll put someone on that can play a better game than you, and they swap you. Someone who can play a better game for you. Or, or say you've kicked someone and you've been given a yellow card. <laughs> and the, the manager says, oh my gosh, he's going to get sent off. Let's get him off, because he's done something wrong. And you swap him. The Lord Jesus Christ is our substitute. He can play a game that we can't play. He can live a perfect life that we can't live because, you see, God is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. He is amazing. You know, when you're in school and you draw pictures and you look at them and you think, this is amazing. And then, and then you're shown a picture of somebody in the sixth form that they've done. And you look at your picture and you look at their picture and you think, my picture is awful. Because you're comparing it with something that's much better. If you compare yourself with people around, you're going to think you're great. But if you compare yourself to God, if you compare yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is righteousness, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, if you compare yourself with him, you will see 
that he only can live a life that you can't live, that you need him to be your righteousness, that he needs to be your substitute. And then your sins, the things you've done that are wrong, how are you going to get them dealt with? How are you going to get them dealt with? Because there must be a, a reckoning. Your sins will have to be dealt with somehow. How can you get them dealt with? Because you can't deal with them. The things you stole when you were a child, that was a long time ago. How can you go back to the shopkeeper who's probably dead now and give them the money? How can you do that? People you've insulted. Other things that you have done. How can you change? And above all this, every single thing that you've done that is wrong, you've been doing it against God. Against God. God only have we sinned and done this wickedness in his sight. How can we get right with God? There is one that was to come into the world who would take away sin like a lamb. Because there were sin offerings. In the Old Testament, there were sin offerings. And they were lambs. And in the morning and in the evening, a lamb would be slain for sin. Taking away the sin of the people. And then in, on the Passover, there would be a lamb and you'd check over for three days to check that the lamb was perfect. Nothing wrong with it. And then the lamb would be slain and the blood would be put over the doorpost and the angel of death would go past and no one would die in that house. The lamb. And then if you committed sin, you would take a lamb and you'd take it to the high priest and the high priest would hold the lamb and you'd put your hand on the lamb and you'd confess your sins on the lamb and the lamb would die in your place as a substitute. And then John the Baptist points to the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your sins, not only can Jesus live a life that you can't live and give you his life as a righteous one, but he takes away sin he is the ultimate substitute. And the atheist, the atheist says, no. The Christian, the Christian says, go to him. Trust him. He is the saviour. And then we have the opposite of the atheist. The opposite of the atheist is the religious person. The religious person also. The religious person is a person who lives for what they do, for their religious deeds. Romans chapter 1 is about the religious person. Listen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They're holding down the truth. They don't want the truth to come out. They're denying who God is. They're denying their need of a saviour. Because that which may be known from God is clear in them. Because God has shown it to them. They've seen the scriptures. They've read the scriptures. They've sung the hymns. They've understood these things. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nobody is with an excuse. Everyone can see creation. Everyone knows God is great. Everyone knows there is a God. Everyone knows there is a creator. Everyone knows. But these, because although they knew God, 
They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. What did these people do? Despite all the knowledge they had, they denied it. They said, I don't know these things. What did they do? And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made, made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts. These people in Romans 1, who should know there is a God, because God has made it clear to them, what do they do? They make up their own religion. They make up their own religion. They change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Why are there so many religions if Christianity is true? I'll tell you, because they're escaping through them. They know there is a God. They know what God is like. And yet they don't want to live that way. They don't want to give in to that God. So they try to escape through their religion. They make up what? They change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Religious people. Oh, I can't believe a God would do that. My God isn't like that. My God is a lovely, forgiving God. My God wouldn't give up his son. My God wouldn't talk about sin. They change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made by corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. You see, that's, that's it. If you, if you go into a, a place where they worship four-footed creeping things or whatever, and you look at them and you think, oh my gosh, how can you believe that's God? And yet, those people that put themselves up as God in place no better. The religious people. And are there religious people in the Bible? Oh dear. There are so many. And Jesus deals with them so much, doesn't he? He talks to the religious people. And they are the ones that hand him over. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Religious people. They, they rely on what they do where they've been, whether they've been christened or baptised, whether they've taken communion or not, that's what they rely on because they've been good people. That's why they think God should accept them. It's all about them, religious people, not about God. They're escaping in themselves. Also, he spoke, this is Jesus, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Are you a religious person running from God? There's a way to tell. Do you trust in yourself? If someone said to you, why should you go to heaven? If you start by saying, well, I'm a good person. I'm nice. I've never stolen. I've never committed adultery. I, I've never harmed anybody. I try to tell the truth. I do good things. It's trusting in yourself. If you say something like, well, I'm not a murderer like some people. I've not done this. I've not done that. Despising others. That's a religious person. What's the answer? Two men went up into the temple to pray. 
one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector stood afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, says Jesus, this tax collector went down to his house, declared righteous by God rather than the other. For whoever lifts up himself will be cast down, and whoever humbles himself will be lifted up. Friend, the fourth group, there are many others, but the fourth group that look away from God and escape from God are religious people. And Jesus spoke. Now we're here. You might be an atheist running from God. You might be running from God in entertainment or work. You might be running from God in your religion. Whichever way it is, whatever way it is, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Come unto me, all you that labour and are heavy laden, and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am, what? I am God, and there is none else. He is the Saviour. Turn to him. The tax collector, though he was nothing in society, yet, because he cast himself on the mercy of God, have mercy on me, forgive me, because of Christ, he was saved. There are many, way to, many ways of running from God. Those are just four. When people come to us and say, why is there Christianity? Why are there other religions? Why would you believe in Christianity? Why are there atheists? We know. Because people are on the run from God. The only reason we are here today is because of God's grace. It's because of his love with which he has loved a people. From before the foundation of the world, he has loved a people. And he set aside his son. And his son came into the world. God manifest in the flesh. And here we are in a service, believing those of us who are Christians. Why? Because God has changed our hearts and given us a new spirit. God changed us. And he can change anyone. Anyone. He can change anyone. Because God is God. He is a great God. And a merciful saviour. And he can turn us all to look and love the son. The Lord Jesus Christ. Why are there atheists? Why are there so many other religions? Because of the human condition. But praise be to God that God saves everyone that comes to him and asks for forgiveness. Not the labours of my hand can fulfil the law's demands. It is the Lord, O wondrous Lord.